0: welcome to radio by jack roberts it is our mission to bring you inspired conversations with the world's inspired minds we host wide-ranging discussions on business entrepreneurship health wellness mindset and much more thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show Our guest today is Alan Samuel. Alan is the founder and managing director of Samuel Property Group. Alan currently oversees a two hundred million dollar property portfolio at Samuel, with multi residential developments in Turak and Brighton, plus more widely across the inner southeast. Alan, welcome to Radio. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me today, Jay. No worries. Thanks for coming on. Um, obviously, there's a lot on your a lot on your schedule day to day, managing such a big pipeline. Take me through what your morning looks like and sort of how you get ready for the day.
1: Yeah, I do have a morning routine. I found that was really important uh, early on as the business was starting to grow. Um, I've got a young family as well. So uh, typically my day, uh, I wake up about quarter to six. I'm at the gym by about 6.30, sort of three to four mornings a week. uh, And that gives me enough time to get a workout, um, be away from my phone for a little while, and then come home, see the kids, have breakfast together, get ready for work. Uh, and typically I'll either drop one at school or one at kinder uh, and then straight to the office or to a site meeting. So, yeah, that routine's actually been really important. Just uh, it's no more apparent to me now during COVID where I can't go to the gym and that routine is a little bit out of sync, particularly with the kids at home not going to school. So I'm looking forward to getting that getting back to a bit more normalcy soon.
0: I think it's a good, um, you know, good little building, building box there. Um, how have you found the... I guess, the adaptation recently from, um, you know, probably being able to go hell for leather all the time and not having to worry about school drop-offs and, and pickups ups to, to transitioning into family life as well?
1: Oh, it's been great to be able to spend more time um, with the kids and my wife as well. Um, but at the same time, there are things that I enjoy doing together, like going to a football game that we can't do at the moment. So uh, it's definitely a combination. It um, gives you more time to, you know, I guess, learn new things, you know, I've been fortunate, my my daughter was struggling to Uh, get the training wheels off the bike and I had a bit more time to help her and now she's she's riding uh, without training wheels so that's you know that's a great thing I think my dogs have never had more walks and I probably never sat down and watched as many movies that my wife wanted to watch in the last couple of months so um, but for me I am uh, I like to think I'm a pretty outgoing person so I definitely miss that balance of being able to I guess socialize and network in the property circles um, in the way that people do it in Melbourne so again I've I like what I had, so I look forward to getting back to it. And, um, again, hopefully that's
0: not too far away. Correct. Hopefully it's just around the corner. This all started for you um, selling basketball cards or flipping basketball cards, I guess is what we'd say now. Um, yeah. Take me through that journey, how you started, and then to where you are today with um, with Samuel.
1: Yeah, look, the basketball card journey. Uh, look, I think my parents were going overseas and I was 13, and I was thinking, bring you bring me back some basketball cards. And they said, well, we'll do you one better. How about we bring you back as Many as you need, you can sell, and that way you can get lots of basketball cards and make some money. So, for me, they came back with 20, uh, 20 boxes. I think I sold the first 10 and I paid them back, and then you know, started opening up a few myself and selling a few more. So, um, I was probably got a bit of a taste of you know, having a bit of money in my back pocket at an early age, and that was, I guess, you know, fostered by them backing me in. I didn't have enough money for 20 boxes, uh, but they sort of said, Look we can see that you can do this. So not something I would suggest other people do, selling basketball cards at uh, their schools, not, not my place of business to do, but I guess the, the journey I guess is, is probably one of the same, you know, you, you get a bit ambitious. Um, so for me finishing off from school, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to get into the business property degree at RMIT, um, get through that, you know, within the appropriate time period. Um, I sort of wasn't sure where I, where I wanted to fit in the property space. Um, had interest in development, but it's not the easiest thing to go straight into. So um, I chose to get what I thought was a clear-cut qualification out of the degree, which was a evaluation qualification, um, which takes a few more years until you're fully qualified. So, look, I did that for about, um, you know, 10 years and then moved into the development space. And I guess, you know, fortunate enough to be talking to you today. I, I always say it's a, an 11-year overnight success. Um, it's good to be here now, but obviously it's taken a while to get to this point.
0: Take me through the, um, take me through sort of the first development that you, that that transition and I guess the, probably the first time you had to put a a pretty serious chunk of money down into, um, into something that you're hoping would become obviously what it is today, but at the time it would have been a big risk. Take me through sort of how you were, how you're feeling when you, did you buy something at auction the first time or private negotiation? How did it go?
1: Yeah, no, yeah, it was an auction. Um, It was a site out in Blackburn and um, the auction went well. It was what we expected. Um, There was a site that was tenanted, so there was some issues there that I was confident I could work through. Um, But, yeah, the whole process is very different. Um, It's sort of similar to what I say with some of the guys in my office. It's it's, it's very different when it's your money. Um, You sort of think about the numbers a lot closer. You check everything twice, you know, maybe three times even. And um, it's one of those things that you just – um you can't take for granted i, I was fortunate when i was doing valuations to have a mentor there at the firm that would always say to me at the end of a, you know when i was assisting him early days you'd stand across from the property at the end and sort of look back and say you know how does it make you feel That's a, It's a silly thing to say about a property how does it make you feel uh, a bit like the guy in the color roof ad where he looks back at the roof and he goes Oh, it looks great but um for me that was really important because if you're not feeling the process, then it makes it that much harder to invest your money and, and as you said, it's it always is a lot of money in development space. So um, that was something that I, I realised early on. I had to be, not just the numbers I had to work uh, on a spreadsheet, but also I had to feel good about what we were doing and the places we were doing. And um, for me starting out, I'm, I'm the youngest of four kids. Uh, um, again, similar to the basketball cards, I was fortunate my parents to lend me a little bit of money. I had some, but not enough to do what I needed to do. So that comes with pressure as well because, uh, you know, you don't want to lose uh, the parents' money and obviously with brothers and sisters, they're trusting you not to do it. So, uh, again, you know, I worked harder than I would have ever before and I learned a lot more in a really short period of time to make sure that it was a uh, success.
0: With my background in property, I know that every developer leaves a little bit of themselves in each building. You touched on sort of wanting to be proud about what what you deliver and when you finish a building, being able to look up at it with that sense of pride. Um, What drives the passion behind Samuel and what are your unique touches as a property developer? Yeah, it's a great question, Jack. Um, For me, I guess
1: not accepting ordinary or cutting corners. Um, I look at it, um, you know, I'm in my late 30s. Uh, I look to be doing this for a long time going forward. and, And I guess it's really important for me to have a reputation and I respect people know what we stand for. So it's not necessarily one design detail or the other. I know people always laugh that I'm a bit of a stickler for having bin shoots in multi-residential buildings. Maybe that is my touch, but I, I just think it's, it's doing what you would expect others. So we, we always like to think that we design the buildings almost in reverse. So what would the occupant expect? What would the purchaser, the person that would live there, uh, what's reasonable for them to expect? And then if that's reasonable, can we uh, exceed it? So. Again, I don't expect somebody moving into a three-storey building to be holding their rubbish in the lift, sh- in the lift going down on a Sunday night to put it in the basement into the bin. We expect that they will just pop it in a chute. That's great. Perfect. You know, we, these are little things that I think often people forget who's going to be living there and how they're going to live there. Uh, and so that really is something that blends right in. Uh, in our Hampton, uh, Caspian Hampton development, you know, we're really mindful not to just have big open plan spaces, but we actually need walls. And we need walls, I know it sounds crazy, but we, we need corridors to uh, for people to put up, you know, photos, art. Uh, they've got a whole life of, um, you know, experiences they want to share and show. And that's similar to what they've got in their houses. So sometimes when you walk into an apartment and it's just totally open, um, it actually feels you know, solace or you have sight lines coming out of bathrooms into bedrooms or into living spaces, that uh, doesn't quite work. So there's the temptation to have the biggest space possible, but is that the right fit? So I think for us, I'm always thinking about um, who the end user is and then I guess reputation and brand uh, and not, not just because that's probably a buzz or a sexy word now in the market to get trust, but, you know, I've been doing it from day
0: one, um, just how we think. I think it's a great answer. Um, I, obviously, one of the hardest things, I think, in from from what I've seen across the marketplace, um, is consistently delivering projects that, that exceed expectation. Um, and it's something that if you can do with relative consistency, um, you obviously build a reputation really, really quick. And all of those sort of buzzwords, um, which tend to be obviously, you know, on everyone's on the tip of everyone's tongue, and in an Instagram sort of world, everyone's always looking at you know the nicey, the nicest, flashiest marketing and and the new brochures and everything like that. But as well as you would have found in a lot of these blue chip suburbs, um, it comes down to reputation. And you know the developers are known. It's you know the my parents might have bought an apartment off a developer ten years ago, and they're now recommending. To their friends, to their family, to other people, mm-hmm. oh, he's he's doing another development around the corner. You should purchase in that one. He does a really good product. Um, you know, whilst all of the, sort of the brand elements are now trendy, and we've got the a diamond dozen agencies that can make your brand look nice. Um, I think mm-hmm. good old fashioned word of mouth from your from your purchases um, goes a very very long way.
1: Yeah, I, for me, uh, a lot of people see development or. The developer relationship with the buyer as more a transaction. Um, I've got an apartment, you want it, great, you've bought it, I'll give you the finished product in a year, 18 months, whenever. Um, I see it quite differently. I see it as a service. So when you when you purchase with us, we're, it's our responsibility in our job to give you a service, which is the apartment that you wanted, but also everything along the way. So for us, we have a, what we call the Samuel Standard, which is a clear document that sets out to any purchaser. These are the steps that you're going to take along the way with us. It's going to be great. Let's, let's get excited because um, we really enjoy what we do. We enjoy the construction process. We enjoy communicating with people, talking with people, customizing things. None of these things scare us. This is what we do because these are the consistent same type of buyers. So um, I know I don't believe that the fit for a $500,000 buyer and a $5 million buyer is the same. So we've got a really clear model of the type of projects we do so that you can see the symmetry and understand, okay, these guys are actually going to get what we what we're about and they're going to be able to deliver it as well.
0: It seems in some elements that you know as a developer i guess this is definitely what i've what i've found from my experience in the industry is there's, there's two people um as property developers there's guys that are obviously you know approaching it more from the numbers and the figures kind of side of things um and you know obviously that's not to take away from that from the numbers you guys run and making sure that everything works and you you still have a business yeah. when you finish the development but i think there's obviously businesses that are a very you know investment focused and the I guess the, the whole business is designed from the ground up to, you know, to make money, um, mm. which works for some people, but I guess it sort of lacks a little bit of a soul. It sounds like, you know, Samuel for you has a lot of, um, a lot of sort of passion and it's almost like your, your creative outlet in some sense. It's your, um, you know, by delivering these properties to their purchases, it's your ability to sort of you know put a mark in a mark in the world or definitely in the property world. Um, is that sort of how you how you approach things? It's a little bit more a work of art rather than you know just you know just another apartment, just another property.
1: Yeah, I think so. First part, I guess the numbers are important. So we are there to make a return. The return that we make is no. Uh, if, if there was a coffee shop that was selling coffee at a twenty percent say or twenty five percent return, they'd probably going broke. Um, for us, the difference is the scale of the numbers, so we can work to I guess a lower margin but a greater scale, and then try to manage the risk over time. So. From my point of view, um, I'm never apologetic on terms of us trying to make money. I think that's important so that we can pay every single person along the way. Uh, I never say that our apartments are expensive, they're, they're priced accordingly, but then as a result, you know, we do keep our architect through the whole construction process, or we do pick a great builder that has a great reputation or has financial backing or re, re, you know, leave security to the project for a period of time to give us all comfort and ease. So. Um, we try to take out, I guess, the risks, not just for ourselves, but for everybody else involved. And then in terms of, I guess, the creative side, Um, Yes and no. I always know where I want to see a project go based on the location. I guess that's intrinsic to me being Melbourne based and our projects being Melbourne focused. Um, But we really do put a lot of trust into the team. So I never sort of tell the architect, this is the facade I want, or this is how I want it to look. Uh, I leave it to them and I let them be creative. If I've got the right architect and the right team in place, I'll get the right outcome. So I really trust um, I don't know, I don't always come up with the name of the developments or the colors I, I get the right people in there and that's something I learned probably early on that I was trying to be too hands on and in time I've realized that the key is just getting the right people and then letting them do what they do. And if they like working with you, then they'll actually do the right thing by you and get you the right results. So it, it can be a bit of a you know, nervous process um, having that mindset, but it can really repay you in spades.
0: Um, and you really get that buy-in from the whole, I guess, collective group when they work on the job? The state government has done a tidy job of all but drying up off-the-planned sales in Melbourne over the last three years. Um, it's probably made your your life harder. Um, it's definitely yeah. made my life a little bit harder. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll lead on with, I guess, what will be a, sort of a three-part question. Um, You've obviously successfully navigated the market and, and bought a couple of projects to market in the last last couple of years. You've got Brighton um, about to go live in a few weeks as well. Um, mm-hmm. But what have you learnt from this market? What would you do differently heading into the next, you know, sort of the next correction? And um, mm-hmm. has COVID-19 added any extra lessons uh, on there for good measure?
1: Yeah, there's a bit to get through there. I guess look, the, you're, you're very spot on in terms of the government changes did make uh, things difficult. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned there is really to run your own race. And we've been really confident in the projects we've laid out um, and put to market in terms of who they're for, what they're priced, um, making sure that we really clearly articulate our points of difference, um, putting our, I guess, you know, to be crude, our money where our mouth is and showing people that we're committed to the developments. So sometimes starting earlier with, without the appropriate pre-sales. Um, I think that's been really important to build comfort. And again, really just doing what we say we're going to do in the time frame. So again, building that trust along with people. So, um, it's been challenging. We pushed really hard. Again, we always believe we've got a great product and a good story to tell. And that gives us a point of difference to someone who's doing the, a one-off development or who isn't based in uh, in Melbourne and is trying to sort of do a development environment control. This isn't a hobby for me. You know, I'm full-time, full-time, full-time. I never turn off. Um, I'm super passionate about what we do. And I think that shows with the people that we work with and the outcomes we can get. If, if I was doing something, you know, part-time, then you'd get a part-time kind of uh, answer. And that's where you see people where their developments haven't gone as well. Um, I, I studied property. I've worked in the industry for almost 20 years. So that's where we can really navigate any sort of bumpy waters. If I'm a dentist and I've got some money and I'm trying to do a development on the side, I'm probably not going to know how to navigate those waters because that's not what I've learned or what I've worked in or, and I'm not working at full-time. So, I think that's been a really big point of difference from us in terms of this current market, what I've learned. um, I think, uh, you know, having a good product unfortunately isn't enough Um, at the moment there, there are buyers, but they're not willing or they don't have the confidence to, to, purchase. Um, We're having a lot of good conversations, but it's certainly harder. So having a good product normally would be enough. Um, So really one of the things I've taken from that is just preaching patience. And so that's something that I preach with, whether it's our architect, our builders, obviously the sales agents, that um, we all want sales. We all want to get things done, but if we want it anymore, it might not necessarily happen. We actually have to think about what the buyer's motivation might be what are they thinking about why would they actually do what we want them to do right now um and how can we then sort of i guess taper into that and and do it from their mindset and that's really work but patience is definitely uh, a big thing Um, heading into the next correction uh look i guess you got to know when the next correction is right to be able to know what to do differently for it but um you know, at the moment, we've got a lot of projects in construction, which, which is great um, because the correction doesn't really affect us. We're pushing on. Um, in terms of maybe looking now, what I'm doing looking forward, it's probably looking to get sites um, with more options and longer lead times so that we have more time up our sleeve as to when we would launch the development rather than being more constrictive to, okay, well, we've got to go as fast as we can, um, which is the typical mindset of, you know, let's let's get through planning, let's get on market, let's get to construction. If I bought a site on a 20-month settlement or 30 month settlement, I might have the ability to go through planning slower, really consider the, the when we might launch, um, just takes the pressure off uh, financially from the holding costs. So that's definitely, um, I guess, something going forward. And I think the third part, if I can remember it all, um, has COVID any extra lessons for good measure? Um, I think COVID's really shown probably a couple of things to me that I guess relationships are so important. And if you've got good relationships with people, then they can do great things, even under stress or a harder situation. So we've got really strong relationships with, I guess, every project. Your sort of two key partners will be your builder and your architect. Um, Not to offend you, I guess, okay, we'll add in agent for you, Jack, but... um, we certainly, those relationships, um, again, people have got pressure at home or in the workplace or perhaps financially. So we, I think relationship-wise, if you, if you actually like the people you work with, you do the right thing, you've worked with them before, um, those strong relationships can really hold you in good, good measure. And then the other thing about, I guess, COVID, a lesson is that I always preach to my team internally the mindset of being match fit. You know, anyone who plays sports, You've got to be ready to go out and play the grand final today. You know, there's the there's the, uh, there's the saying: um, premierships are won in March, not September. It's the work you do before the season starts. So, really, a big thing for us with with COVID was that we found ourselves, um, and this is probably not to come off arrogant, but we found ourselves being match fit. So we were very nimble. We could work from home. Um, we could still. Everyone had sufficient motivation to just keep working. No one was like, oh. There's no one here to tell me what to do. Um, we were ready to go. There were a lot of businesses that we deal with that they had a bit of a shock period for sort of one or two weeks where it was hard. But, you know, where are these people gone? Do they still want to work? Like we want to work, where are they? Um, and I think it was an adjustment period for them to really get to that kind of match fitness where they're like, okay, well, um, I can play. Um, I'm able to do my job under different circumstances. So that's probably a bit of my sports passion and metaphors coming in. But for me you've got to yeah you've got to be all in and that was that match fitness that i think other companies are now probably bringing their mindset to
0: yeah i've definitely seen an an uptick in, in productivity across you know a number of industries that um, that i'm across at the moment everyone sort of seeming to get up to speed i think probably a little bit of a little bit of frustration now as well with a lot of people cooped up at home and the likes of that just wanting to sort of get back to normal and um, yeah. you know i've been back in the office uh, for a couple of weeks now um, just getting things done it's a little bit quieter than what it usually is but um, it also is a really good environment just to work and, and get things done not everyone not everyone is in the office and there's different expectations but I think the key thing that that I definitely got out of that is these relationships and if you you sort of look after the people that are important to you they will in turn look after you and sort of go the extra mile regardless of, of what industry or, or whatever job you're in if you if you look after people they will look after you, particularly, um, you know, particularly when times get a little bit tougher uh, because often we're all going through it together. You know, the, the constructions down, um, you, you know, the builders, if the builders are feeling, it means the architects are feeling, it means, you know, yes. it, it's all, it's all interlinked. And it's the same in in any, any industry, you know, finance, law, all of it. Um, you have, you know, you have something happening economically and it's putting pressure on one part of the system. It's inevitable. It, it'll feed through. So I guess one of the positives I've seen is I think there's definitely a little bit more, a little bit more kindness out there um, during mm. COVID nineteen than what there has been um, previously. I think the the media's probably been a little bit easier on the property sector as well, as well in the last last couple of months. Yeah. This makes our job a little bit easier. Yeah, P- hopefully it stays that way. Yeah, correct. Um, a lot of my guests so far on radio have um, have spoken about overcoming a fear of failure or other personal hurdles on their journeys to date. Um, as you've gone through this journey, alone, what are the elements of personal development that you've had to work on?
1: Yeah, I think it's sort of, it really, that question really leads on to probably what I was just talking about, which is, um, I guess, just taking the edge off and being a bit more personable with people, um, enjoying the process and, and really going on the journey, staying humble, you know you think you're working hard, you can probably work harder. Uh, I think early, early days for me, I was still very corporate in my mindset in terms of how I'd communicate with people. You know, Jack, how is this project going? Where now say, hi, Jack, how are you? you know, and, and look, does it take more time? Yes, but does it, is it nicer? Is it, does it get a better result? Um, I believe it does. So as silly as it sounds, I, I've sort of slowed down. I've taken the edge off. And for me, um, I guess that's been a really big mindset change that sounds silly. You know, I didn't have a scare or fear of failing or anything. Um, if anything, I wanted to fail uh, early. <laughs> if I was going to fail, I'd rather do it in my early 30s than in my 50s. And if I failed, I'll go back to being a value or do something else. So that was never a, a risk or a failure, I guess a fear or a personal hurdle for me. Uh, but really something was just about work, how to work with other people and get the best out of them as opposed to what you're probably taught when you put the suit on and you go to Collins street or uh, wherever you work in terms of really trying to come across as the most polished and professional person. I think there's really a a nice median point that you can have where people legitimately want to get emails from you or they want to answer your phone calls because they know that you're not just chasing them or hitting them over the head, but really you, you actually care and you understand, okay, sometimes things take longer or otherwise. Um, So that's been something that I think from a personal development sense, I worked on. Um, I probably made that mindset change five years ago and
0: um, no regrets. I'd never look back. I think it's a great point. I definitely, I I was reading something on LinkedIn the other day um, by a a big broker in the UK, Daniel Daggers. He was a former partner at Night Frank um, and he handles the sort of the super prime market, which over there is, you know, 25 million pounds and, and upwards um, mm. And he said it's very interesting with the development of all of this voice technology, um, you know, Apple HomePods and, and Google Speakers and everything that will, you know, probably do a lot of our emailing and our text messaging for us in the future. Um, he goes, it's interesting we've all been taught to uh, email formally, um, yet when mm. we actually speak to people, we would never speak to them that way. You know, if someone calls you up on the phone, yeah. hey, how are you going, what's happening, how's the wife, how's the kids? Um, but then when we sit down to email someone, all of a sudden, it's like we pull on this completely different. It's like we go and we get the suit out of the closet, and put the tie on it and sit down and send these really corporate emails. Um, and he goes, yeah. it'd be really interesting to see as we integrate this technology, because we don't speak. We won't speak to our, our phones or our computers or our speakers the way that we, um, you know, the way that we email. We'll just speak the way that we mm. speak. And he goes, I reckon that his, his hypothesis is that will change um, very much change the way that we interact and the way that we use our, um, I guess, our technology to communicate, which I guess can probably only be for the benefit if people feel, you know, more welcome and, um, and, and more encouraged yeah. to engage. I think for me,
1: I look, I'd never regret it. And I hope more people take it on board from my point of view. You, what you've got to realise is that no one's job is more important than anybody else's and at the same time, just because you're paying someone to do a job doesn't give you the right to talk to them um, in, a, in a way that you wouldn't want to be talked to yourself. So I think, um, again, I, I've just really embraced it and you know, I've, I, it's, a, it's a rule in my office. Anyone that works
0: here, uh, we only send nice emails. That's it. I like that. Nice. No. So you've got, the, you've got the Samuel Standard and the nice emails policies. Is, <laughs> yeah. is there anything else internally you do to sort of keep the team uh... in line with, with the vision?
1: Uh, there is yeah. actually a uh, uh, nice unscripted, but uh, we've got, we've got the Samuel 10 commandments, okay. uh, which sit at everyone's desk. So that was something that on a strategy session we we put together um, and look, it's just something that we abide to. Um, you know, I'd love to be able to rattle off all 10 to you. I probably can't off by heart, but the ethos of them. Yeah, very much. It's, it's next to your desk. You think you look about it. Um, it's very much second nature. A lot of the things, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable, thrive in chaos you know, everybody matters. That's a real strong mantra. Um, there's 10 of them, right? And, 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 you know, it's, you know, do it right, do do it right, do it once. There's, I could keep going with them. They're, they're all there. And it just, I think it's a real culture mentality that that's how we want to be perceived. And that's the why we want to kind of
0: go forward. So, um, yeah, oh, I won't say them all. Someone will write them all down. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, corporate culture has been something that's probably exploded in the last, I want to say it's longer than 10 years, but it's probably really been really the last seven years. We've seen so many, you know, there's businesses that will come in and consult on culture and all of these things. Um, how How is it that you, you know, you obviously seem to have built Quite a you know quite a good culture, and you've been able to come up with your ten, ten commandments with your team, which means you've obviously got buy-in and, and investment from them in in the business. In in that sense, um, how do you generate a culture like that? You obviously spoke about probably being a bit more approachable about five years ago, but is there anything you hmm. sort of you sort of look for, or there's anything you try and avoid, maybe with hiring and firing and things like that?
1: Oh, I think hiring, and firing, you know, culturally is is important. So thinking about where people sit hierarchy in terms of spaces. So, so there's always comfortable and, and non, I guess, not tension in the space. Um, but I think for me, it's just, it's just being yourself. So I always say to people in their performance reviews, um, you know, work satisfaction, that, that's not up to me. You should want to do this job. Um, so, you you know, you're, you're as much involved as I am. So if your work satisfaction, you want to have, come in a bit earlier and leave a bit earlier or start later and work later, or you want to work from home or you want to go like, that's up to you. Like, I don't care if you're the most senior or the youngest person here. Um, work satisfaction, that's on you. All I demand and expect is the work done, right? And so when you get it done, it's not, not it doesn't have to be done between nine and five. Um, you can work later or earlier, you can work on the weekend. Um, you can text, you can send voice messages. Um, we're totally adaptable in any which way that you think you want to do it. but. You have to get the work done, right? So um, I don't really have any issues. I mean, one of the things that when new people start here, they always kind of go, whoa, um, everyone's got three or four screens. Now, we're not stockbrokers. We're not following a million markets. But you might want to have your email up on one. You might want to be Facebook or LinkedIn or looking at sporting scores. I don't really care. It doesn't make you any worse at your your job, what you need to do. Um, It just means that you're enjoying what you're doing more and hopefully you can get it done because you're feeling good about what you're doing. You're in the right mindset. And honestly, no one sits there and watches basketball all day just because they can. Or nobody's on Facebook all the time just because they can. They understand that they're here for a job. And if they do that too much, they'll like, eventually it'll catch up with them. But they know that if they look at it, it's not an issue. Or if they've got WhatsApp on their on their screen and they're texting people. I text people for work all the time. It's pretty much on one of my four screens at all, at all times. So I think if I'm doing it, other people should be able to do it. And then if I lead, with that sort of, you know, that passion, that mindset that, you know, I'm getting in when they get in, I'm staying late or I'm leaving. Like they see it and they realize that, okay, that's probably okay and acceptable. I don't wear a suit every day for no reason. Uh, sometimes I wear runners and a t-shirt if I if I, don't, if I can or it doesn't matter. Um, I think they can do that too. If it's a hot day, wear shorts, just be comfortable. Um, we, we're fortunate that we don't work for other people. People work for us. So um, we should kind of enjoy that and embrace it and, it's one of those things also that I learned when I started the business. Um, I used to kind of be like, oh, you know, I don't think I can go, you know, my daughter's swimming lesson at three thirty in the afternoon. Uh, what work to do? Well, of course, what work to do. But that's the whole reason why I started the business so that I can have that flexibility to go to a swimming class. And of course, I'm going to have to do work at eight o'clock that night to catch up or something. But that's okay because I can do that then. So I think I, I try to give them the same idea that, you know, you should be in control of
0: that situation yourself. And if you are, then you'll create your own happiness great response i think um you know you give people you give people a little bit of freedom and they do um they do tend to repay it there's always you know and i guess people often try and i think disprove some of these flexible work kind of discussions by you know using the exception to the rule but most businesses you know i heard a story of a, a digital um a digital company in the states they have an unlimited paid holiday um program so you can have if you want to take 16 weeks leave the company will pay for you to do it they just set you kpis at the start of the year and you have to meet them now yeah okay the the kpis are probably designed so someone could you know a a decent level of of performance in in the states typically people get about two weeks of leave so it's different to here but a a good level of performance will get them four weeks which is double what some of their competitors are getting right and then exceptional Mm. performers people that are You know, coming into the office, the the theory was, and I was listening to the CEO speak about it, he goes, if someone comes in and works 20-hour days or something for for two months and hits their targets, he goes, I've got, you know, I've got no issue. Um, Obviously, Mm. if they then want to keep working, we can then look at, you know, we can look at finding something for them to do or maybe we're moving them into a leadership role or or whatever. But it was was really, really interesting. He goes, no one's abused it. He goes, I've never had a staff member in in three years um, not meet a KPI. And uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same. I don't have any issues. Um, I don't, I I don't need to know where people
1: are at all times. They're going to the dentist. I don't really care. Like it's a trust thing. And again, people get found out because I'm not so distant off any aspect of what we do, but if there was an issue, some of it all just pick up the phone and say, uh, I haven't heard from so-and-so in your office or this is happening. Um, so I I don't feel like I'm that removed that there's a risk that by giving people the freedom and the ability. Um, and it just means a lot more genuine, like, people live and also people also go through different stages in their life. So people when they're in their sort of 25 to 30 year old section, they, they're probably wanting to take more holidays because their friends aren't married or they don't have kids. So they use a lot more of their leave and they, and that's great. I, I did the same thing um, when then people are getting a bit older and they're, and they're saving for a house, they're not necessarily going away as much. They're doing different things. So it's just normal. Like just put yourself similar to what I was saying about the apartments, you know, sort of designing with the end user in place. I think it's thinking about, the person in the office as to where they're at in their life and what they're trying to achieve, and then allowing them the ability. I'm, I'm not an ageist by any means, so I can have people here who are younger than others who are earning more money. It, it obviously comes on to what you can do and your ability, but at the end of the day, just empowering people, um, it, it's actually quite powerful. And often people sort of go, shit, like that's happening. And I'm like, yeah, it is, because that's what it should happen. Because um, if you don't empower people, they leave. They go start up a business against you or they go work for your competitor. And I say that to guys here all the time. I'd rather work with you than against you. So let's, let, let's work always, uh, you know, in a
0: positive way forward to have a need to make it happen. Correct. I think that, you know, um, one, of the, one of the big things that's been overlooked with millennials coming into the workforce and, you know, probably the tail end of Gen Y as well is, um, for the first time like kids we we talked about basketball cards earlier like kids could go and buy baseball cards or basketball cards on ebay and like if you've been tracking them i don't know if you track the market at all but um you know it's having a bit of a resurgence there's a lot of 80s nostalgia around and um like yeah you can buy like a lebron james rookie card now um in, in the nba which is obviously you know quite hot property at the moment and these cards are uh, you know, there's regular cards, five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars depending on now I'm not across all of it, but depending on grading yeah. and things like that. The kids are, kids leaving school these days can make two hundred grand a year on the internet from their bedroom. Right? They don't have to come yeah, right. they don't have to come to work anymore. Um, and I think unless we're building environments for people to come in and be motivated and, and want to be part of something bigger. Um, it, it speaks exactly to that empowerment. If people feel like they're part of something and they're working on a, on a bigger plan, they actually want to come to work. They don't want to be at home in their bedroom yeah. on, on eBay flipping basketball cards. You know, they want to be out there meeting people, building a career. I should,
1: I should, uh, I should go just, I should go just check those cards. I yes. Get my parents out that I never picked up because sounds like there might be a bit of money there. But I think, I think, um, you know, bring it back to development in the workplace. It is in development. Um, any mistakes are big, they're expensive and they're really hard to overcome. So I I always do preach that um, you're better off, well, one, you're better off not making mistakes, but two, you're better off working with somebody to avoid making those mistakes Um, because the biggest thing, the biggest skill, and I I gave a presentation a year or two ago at a conference uh, and they gave me a set of slides uh, like as a template and one of the template, in the template, it had a pie chart. I thought, what am I supposed to do with this? This is not really relevant. So what I did was I said, top of the slide is what does it take to be a good developer? And I just cranked the pie chart, I think to like 95%. And I said, experience. I said, you know, it doesn't take money. It doesn't take knowing a good architect it takes experience to be able to know how to lead forward. And that experience obviously takes time, either working for somebody else or being on the tools yourself and literally being like on the tools, like across every single aspect of it, learning um, by literally attending every meeting and engrossing yourself in every aspect of the process. So that experience is massive and I don't think you can get that from your, your, your bedroom, um, however good your feasibility might look.
0: Correct. I, I know a guy that, a um, good client of mine, um was, was a partner in a property you know development company for for 10 years and now he's going out doing his own thing and he's actually instead of going in he's you know got all the connections the banks will lend you money instead of going in and you know doing 50 or 100 or 200 units straight away he goes no you know what i want to do you know he had a team before he had people that you know he was a cog in, mm-hmm. in a machine he goes i want to learn how to do every single step of this process if i have to do a you know, a side-by-side townhouse development to learn how to manage every single step, then that's what I will do because I don't want to get into a position where I'm employing someone and I really don't, I don't know what they do. Um, I think that becomes a really dangerous in any business. It becomes dangerous, um, you, you know, a dangerous position when you are trying to adjudicate on someone's performance, but you don't actually understand what their outcome should look like or, or how they do their job. Yeah, for sure. Um, on a sort of more of a personal note, well, you can answer this anyway you like, personal business and anyway, what are three sort of one percenters um, that people can implement in their everyday lives to level up?
1: Yeah, well, I've said a few of them already, but um, first one to me is everybody matters. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just it's nice to be nice. Every single person who matters, you just don't know when you're going to work with them again, uh, when they're going to pop up. They might be in one role one year, two years later they're somewhere else. I can give you countless stories where it's come uh, and it's worked in my favor. So every single person matters, doesn't matter where they sit in the food uh, train. Um, Probably the other one, which has been really important, I guess in my workspace, um, set the standard, lead with passion. So you've really got to, if you want people to work hard, you've got to work hard. Um, If you want people to care about you getting a permit, you've got to care about getting a permit. You know, it's like that old thing. You can't get an email from somebody Um, sit on it for two weeks and then respond back to them and say, when's this going to be ready when they've been waiting for you for two weeks? You know, you've got to set the standard that you respond to things in an appropriate period of time, you're passionate, you understand what's happening. So that, to me, um, I guess is really important. And then just particularly in the development space, again, another one I said earlier, just thriving in chaos and being uncomfortable. It's not an A to B to C to D proposition development. Um, not many industries are, but particularly development, there's always a lot of unforeseen things. And it's certainly not buy site, get permit, get sales, get builder builds, get money. There's a million, not a million, there's there's countless things that happen in between. And you've just got to embrace that, that it's going to be basically a yo-yo, up and down um, or a roller coaster. And you've got to be the one that's got to kind of take that level mindset. So not get too high or not get too low through the process. So again, for me though, that's really important. I've seen a lot of people come into development, particularly that last one, and they really ride the process on their sleeve, their emotions, and it affects other people. So if you're nervous and you're scared and you're worried about something, that's going to make the rest of the team nervous and worried and scared. You can't bring that in to everybody else's mindset. You've got to be kind of cool and calm and just thrive. Like, okay, we've got a problem with the stormwater drain. How are we going to fix it? Like, no, you can't be like, ah, oh, stormwater strains, it's going to cost 100 grand. We're stuffed. You just got to think positively. So I think for me, if I had those three uh, tips, I'd be pretty happy, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Well,
0: let's go back or 10, 15 years ago, maybe, or it could have been yesterday or anywhere in between. What's the best piece of advice you have been given on your journey?
1: Yeah, I wish it was the best one, but it's really stuck with me. Mm. So um, maybe, maybe that does make it the best one. But um, again, it's another one of uh, those sayings that I throw out a lot. Um, if there is doubt, there is no doubt. So you just let that sink in. But, um, you know, honestly, people often know what they think. Oh, I don't believe, I don't trust this agent or I don't believe it. If you've got doubt, there's no doubt. Move on. You know, I, I got taught really, I got a, like a lesson that I kind of realized early days uh, as a project 10 years ago early on and I was sitting in a room there was you know 10 people I had barristers lawyers were preparing for a big VCAT case we had you know architects planners everyone and that I was the youngest person in the room and they were all very senior and they were talking for an hour and I was quite quiet I was listening and trying to understand at the end of the meeting I said can I say something And the senior QC, who was on, I think at the time, he was on about $8,500 a day. uh, That was his daily rate. He turned to me and he said, deadpan, you can say whatever you want. You're paying for everybody in this room. And he was right. Why was I asking for permission to say something? Um, If there's doubt, there's no doubt. If you know you need to do something, you need to do it. So for me, again, I don't know if it's the best piece, but it certainly stuck. And it's something that I think about in every single situation. Um, if I'm not sure about something, I'm not hoping that it's just going to work itself out. I'm, I'm getting on top of it. I'm going to make it work or change it. I love that.
0: Um, do, you read, do you read books or are you more of an audio book or a podcast kind of guy? Uh, look, I'm a bit
1: of everything. Yeah. Um, I've found since I've had kids, it's been harder to read books. It's not like I sit, I go have a holiday and <laughs> sit by the pool and read a book. Um, the kids definitely take up a lot of that time. Um, I've tried podcasts, but I find that when I'm in the car, I I call people or, or or more recently, I now send a lot of audio messages, which is a favorite of mine. I can send an audio message to five people in one go. So I'm, I'm always kind of working, moving, um, audio books. Again, I find don't, things don't sink in as much, but look, I do try to read, um, probably the last book that I read that I I really enjoyed was, uh, keep it simple by Ken Segal, who's, uh, he was the ex head of marketing at Apple and um you know i had the pleasure of also meeting ken and um he's there's some really sim- like obviously keep it simple but there are really some simple takeaways from that book for me that um i think work across any business and you only have to look at how well apple has marketed their prop their product um over a period of time to get such you know market share obviously you have to have a great product but their marketing has really been on point that you know what they stand for so um, for me, that would be one that I'd suggest people, uh, if they haven't heard of, and they've got
0: some time, maybe pick it up. Love it. I um, i recently bought a book by, uh, I think his name's Rory Sutherland, who is or is former, I think is maybe I'll have to look this up. Um, but he he used to be at um, at Ogilvy, and his book was basically, I think it's called the um, the surprising power of. Um, ideas that people don't think will work, or something like that. I'll link. Yeah, I'll link both of the um, both of the books in in the comments. But um, I think that you know, there's sometimes you, you can read a you can read a marketing book, and even if you're not in marketing day to day, there's always something you can take mm. out of it. Whether it's your own personal brand or or something like that, that you can just take. Um, I, I'm actually really, you know, I, I love reading marketing books from these guys because just sometimes mm. the way they approach the world. You can be in certain industries, you can almost have your mindset, you can get the blinders on and, and sort of only think about it from the lens of, okay, well, how would a property developer look at this? Or how would, um, you know, if you're in car sales, how would a car salesperson look at it? If you're in, um, if you're a PT, okay, how would a PT or a gym owner look at, look at this? And if you actually expand it out and, and go, okay, well, what if I was a, you know, what if I was a Fortune 500 CEO trying to run a gym? What would I do? Um you know what would mm. I do differently and that's actually how people you know change the world guys like Elon musk um he started by reading he started by reading some textbook like the basics of rocket propulsion um and and now he's as he's, you do literally he sold PayPal and he went on a uh, on a holiday and he bought this textbook <laughs> and read it he's like, okay, I think I understand rockets he start and he started spaceX yeah. right now he's I think in the next couple of days, he's about to send his first astronauts into space for NASA. So now he has the contract for NASA to send the astronauts into space. And all he did, it's a really funny story because he's got this business. NASA were building these really high-tech rockets. They were using carbon fibre. And what would happen is the carbon fibre would lose its structural integrity. They couldn't reuse it. Elon just came along, just, you know, different background. He just said, well, why don't we change the carbon fibre to stainless steel? And like, the rocket's going to be heavier. He goes, good, put more fuel in it. It'll be fine. And now they're reusing now they're reusing their rockets, and it's a you know yeah. successful business model. All it was was that you know that slight shift in, in the thinking by taking a different perspective. I think that's what you know marketing guys definitely um, definitely have that different perspective on things to to other people. They're not selling the product; they're selling the emotions and the idea and, and everything mm. around that as well, which is always you know always catches my eye. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, what are you curious about currently? You know, maybe not property related. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, look, I, I dabbled a little bit recently in cryptocurrency, so Bitcoin, that's so a bit of a new thing for me. So I, I kind of found myself, you know, just on a Sunday during the COVID kind of lock-in, just having some time. And next thing I knew, I'd read about, you know, 10 different articles on the internet and I'd just invested some money and bought some coins and I was like, wow, this is happening. Um, so it's sort of like a, you're excited like a kind of a school kid and you, you're sort of checking all the time, see what it's worth. Um, but so that'll be something fun that I'll just play with on the side. Uh, I'm... I'm I don't sort of, I'm not a big share person. So Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is probably my first little dabble, but uh, look, I don't know if it'll be long-term
0: for me, probably just uh, something for now. Uh, I like that as well, because I I was reading, um, who was it? I think it might've been, it was either Robert Kiyosaki's wife or, um, or Elena Cardone. Um, And she was basically talking about sort of female empowerment and things like that. She goes, you don't know the the value of a dollar until you've held a dollar. Um, And, Basically, the idea was if you're looking to get into anything um, and do it, go and buy one of it. So go buy one Bitcoin or, well, Bitcoin yeah. is very expensive now. So go and buy a share of Bitcoin. Yeah. But, you know, go buy one. And then now you've got money in it, you'll check it. You'll work out how the market works. If you don't own it, you read a couple of articles. You, you'll never know. So I love that you sort of, yeah. even though it's not, hasn't probably traditionally been your thing, you just jumped in and said, well, we'll, we'll work it out.
1: Oh, I can't touch the Bitcoin. That's, that's definitely true. And I've, I've, got, I've got a lot of group from friends that I've, I've sort of said, hey, I'm, I'm you know, putting a bit of money into Bitcoin. What do you reckon? And they're like, you're an idiot. But um, look, it'll, it'll either work or it won't. It's a, bit like, um, it's a bit like gambling. You know, anytime I put a bet on something, I expect to lose. So I've got no issues when, that, when that's the case. Uh, I'm not upset. If I win, I'm happy. And that's great. I'm prepared for that loss. Um, similar to the Bitcoin buying one you know, it's a $15,000 investment. Um, I don't want to lose $15,000. I'm prepared to lose $15,000, but so far I'm enjoying it. It's something that actually, you know, I've done with my wife. She was interested and I said, yeah, let's do this together. We'll follow it together. So, you know, in time you just, you try different things. It's, variety
0: why not you only live once yeah i I had the relative good fortune of buying bitcoin in 2015 um i did okay with it not out of knowing anything just out of the market getting like a little bit crazy there for um a little bit but you know it's one of those things that and i regularly come back to it it's just a really interesting thing like facebook a little while ago announced that they were you know, working on a cryptocurrency, which has now been mm. shelved, and there's like, it, it's obviously an emerging space. And I think, you know, to get in, to just get into it from an investment perspective and start to understand it, it's obviously going to be a technology that's going to, going to play out in the future. You know, maybe Amazing. I'll
1: maybe I'll be the first developer to accept Bitcoin
0: uh, for an apartment. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say you might buy your next site in Bitcoin. <laughs> Well, I don't
1: know. What are the other. I, I hadn't thought about that, but maybe I will do it. I mean, look, worst that will happen is I'll get a, probably a PR article out of it. So I probably, uh, probably should follow that through.
0: Yeah, correct. That'd, be, uh, that'd, that'd probably get you close, close to the front page of Domain. Um, That's it. <laughs> um, as we sort of, uh, I guess, like wrap up a little bit, um, if you could step into my shoes, what's one question that you would ask yourself um, that I haven't asked you?
1: Yeah, great question. I've never been asked this before. I thought about it for a little bit and, and
0: I guess probably what I was thinking is
1: why didn't I go work for somebody else before starting Samuel Property? Mm. Um, that's probably something that in hindsight, it's always quite strange because you were giving the example before about um, you know, the, the friend, the developer, who's, who, who's sort of going back to basics and wants to know all the jobs. And I guess that's probably why I did do it that way. But um, it was quite strange to go from a value up just all of a sudden okay i 'm a developer, and that and that 's probably a systematic issue with the industry that you don 't have to go get a degree to call yourself a developer. Um, anyone can be a developer in a, in a hot market. you know my uber driver 's a developer um, when it 's bad nobody 's a developer, no one 's a developer so from, from my point of view, I just kind of assumed that I could just do it and, and what I knew was enough, but it was nowhere near enough, and obviously I had to put you know years and years of like learnings and try to understand and work out. And um, it was definitely harder than sh- sh- if I went the traditional way of um, just working for somebody else in an ADM or potentially a DM role and working under them. I think part of that was my ambition, but part of it was my stubbornness and not feeling like I was going backwards or sideways. Um, but in, in hindsight, like it seems a bit crazy to have thought that I did that, um, but thankfully it's worked out.
0: Yeah, I've had a couple of guests talk about having skin in the game in the, in the last couple of weeks, which is something that yeah. I think is a big a big motivator with learning. I guess it's the same thing as what we're talking about with Bitcoin. But, mm. you know, in some senses, I almost think like just, just listening to you and how passionate you are about it and obviously the amount that you have now invested in building a culture and, and building this thing that's actually bigger than just delivering apartments. I, I think probably having skin in the game for, for the first time has actually forced you to go to that that level it's probably pushed you more than if you had sort of had the safety net of sort of knowing uh, you, know, you had a fair idea what you're doing, but if you'd known it, known the process inside out, maybe you wouldn't have had to, had to sort of push the envelope so far and do something truly great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree.
1: I agree with that. And I appreciate it. That's a nice little compliment. At the end. <laughs> um, for, for, from my end, I think also it also maybe gave me um, the ability to not apologise for being the way I am, which is, which is that passion that sometimes can be misconstrued as being um, babysitting or being too hands on. So being all in and having that scene in the game um, meant that I I knew no other way. And now being a little bit more comfortable where things are, I can definitely step back a bit and let the guys in the office um, lead and do do fantastic things. But uh, early days, it wasn't the case. So yeah, look. In hindsight, um, I think I, if I did go work for somebody else, I might still be working there ten years or twelve, whatever the years it's been on, still there and happy. But I didn't, and so now this is where I am.
0: Before we um, before we wrap up, tell me what's coming next for um, for Samuel. Yeah, great. I uh, appreciate. it. It's a good opportunity to give a plug. Yeah, uh, Big plug. Yeah,
1: that's right. Well, we're we're launching. Um, it's a look. Every new project is always really exciting. So for us, we've got Willow Bride, which is in Well Street Bride, and. Um, Beautiful tree line, side street, where, you know, 300 metres from Church Street, 500 metres from the the beach boxes. Um, So it's a great location. Um, Small development, only 14, um, but beautiful proportions, sort of 160, 165 square metres each. Um, And we've really approached this development like no other before. Uh, Not to say the other projects aren't special and fantastic, Uh, But really a different mindset of really designing them almost from the outside in. So we always think about the end user. That's obviously important. But this development, probably like no other, bringing the outside in, uh, I'm really proud that the architects have been able to kind of take this biophilic vision and really deliver it. So we've got, you know, master bedrooms that have got, they've all got circular, sorry, master master en-suites that have got circular bathtubs with full glass windows you're bathing in light it's an experience it it feels great Um, we've got beautiful natural light coming into all the spaces really wide Um, it was really the benefit of having a a wide site so 50 meters that's north south so getting great light um, across I guess all aspects so for me um, it's really exciting I think it'll be one of the first projects to launch um, post-COVID or during COVID depending where we're at in a couple of weeks time so there's a bit of you know excitement but also fear in terms of how the market will receive it Um, but we're really sticking to our guns that we think we've got a great product in a great location that um, with a great team that if people are interested then we want to have conversations and talk and we think the best thing we can do rather than sort of shelving is to push forward with confidence and show everybody like you know in two years time or a year's time like we did this and it's not about like pushing our chests out but more sort of trusting the process that development and property, it's a long journey. So we can't sort of think month to month. We have to think year to year. Um, so it's, it look for me, I'm, I'm really excited. Everything looks different. We did a lot of market research in what's a really established market in Brighton. Um, our interiors don't look the same. Our renders don't look the same. It's not to say that they're different for the sake of being different different but we really thought about kind of practicality um you always see these beautiful renders these big you know stone marble kitchens and um you know gray marble and they'd probably be great but i'm not sure that's actually how people live and how they actually would keep these spaces looking so you know we need to prioritize storage we need to prioritize light we need to prioritize second living spaces um if somebody wants to watch the football and doesn't want a big open area where there's you know a kitchen dining living room all in one big space so Again, really just thinking about the end users um, based on the location. So I think it's probably the best we've done it, um, and I'm, I'm really excited to see how it goes. So, yeah, I appreciate the
0: opportunity to mention it. No, I think it'll be an exciting project, and we look forward to um, look forward to seeing everything sort of head to, well, probably by the time this is, um, this is edited and, and up, you'll, um, you'll be on the market. So people will be able to jump yeah. on, on realestate.com.au uh, or domain or uh, onto the micro site. Um, All of them, and 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 check it out. Um, where can we find you online? Obviously, got the website um, for Samuel Property, um, yep. which I'll put in the um, I'll put in the show notes for people, so they can jump on and, and look at everything you're doing, and, and have a look at have a look at Brighton, have a look at Turak, and if they want to buy something, you know, you'd obviously be happy to um, happy to do happy to do a deal yeah. for them. Um, yeah, <laughs> just mention just mention Radio by Jack Roberts, and we'll give you a special deal. <laughs> um, yeah it 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 might- co- might cost you five million bucks, but you know at least you know you're getting a good apartment um wow. but uh is LinkedIn the best place to find you yeah I think so look I try to be active there um,
1: and i I have to same what I said before everybody matters, so um I still respond to people when they send me messages all the time you know that's how we got in contact, and everybody matters so I respond to every comment on, on anything that I post and I try to respond to every single message um, that's genuine out there to me. So LinkedIn is probably the best spot. Um, you know, I keep uh, Instagram and all those other, you know, Facebook for more um, professional channels. So for the business as such, um, I, don't, I don't really like to be contacted there on a personal level, but LinkedIn, I'm okay to be contacted directly.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been uh, been a great discussion, um, and we've obviously covered a lot of wide ranging, you know, a lot of wide ranging topics. But I think the best thing out of this is there's so many lessons in there that can be applied to to any business. You know, it's not just we sort of haven't really had a conversation around property as such, but more, um, you know, more widely about building a business and about looking after people and, um, and you know, building your relationships and personal development, all of those things that can apply to to everyone. So thanks again for coming on along. No, my pleasure, Jack. I really appreciate it and
1: looking forward to hearing how it goes.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Radio by Jack Roberts. We look forward to bring you another episode next Monday at 7pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Until then, you can always subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor or anywhere you get your podcasts. If you'd like to keep up to date with radio, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Radio by Jack Roberts. You can keep in touch with me on Instagram at Jack Roberts8 or just type in Jack Roberts on LinkedIn.